Hey friends, welcome back to the Sunny and 65 podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Schultz, and today we are joined by Pastor Greg Gilbert, the author of one of my all-time favorite books. I'm so excited for you guys to hear our conversation and learn from him and hopefully walk away with a deeper understanding of the gospel. Enjoy! All right. Hey, friends. Today we are joined by Pastor Greg Gilbert. He is the author of one of my all-time favorite books titled What is the Gospel? And if you've listened to some of my other episodes or hung out with me in real life ever, I most likely have either urged you to read the book or have just told you how much I love it and how great of an impact it has had on my own personal understanding of the gospel. And if you're listening to this, just go order it right now and read it. It's a little black book. You can get it on Amazon. Um, Alas, I'm so honored and excited to be having a conversation today with Pastor Greg, and honored is putting it lightly. Um, Pastor Greg, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today, and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, you're welcome, Maddie. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor to talk to you, too. Aw, well, thanks. I had to, if I'm being completely candid, I had to, spending time with Jesus this morning, I was like, Jesus, like, he had to remind me you're a mere human because I was so excited and I was like kind of I was kind of like nervous because honestly this is my you are the first person I have had on the podcast that like isn't someone I know or is in a certain sphere that I'm close with or know someone that I know. So he was like, Maddie, he's a mere human. And I'm like, OK, yeah, I I was just so excited. So. Yes, we're well, so excited that, to have you here. You're, you're super kind, but my wife is sitting across the room listening to what you're saying. And she's, <laughs> her eyes are about to roll out of her head. <laughs> uh, well, well, I want to have her on the podcast, too. Well, tell her that's how great of an impact that your book has had. And I, I well, hope that she, you guys are both encouraged because, I mean, it's a it's a dual ministry. And the amount of times I I think it's because the amount of times I've said what is the gospel by Greg Gilbert? So the amount of times I've said your name and I don't know you. So I'm like, oh my goodness, like this is just, yeah, super oh, exciting. Awesome. So well, I'm super glad the book's been encouraging to you. That's that's excellent. It was actually so much fun getting to think through the things that I wanted to ask you. Um, and even just opening your book back up, the last time that I read it was this last fall um, with a group of gals. And that was, I think, my fourth time reading it. And at this point, I feel like almost every other word is underlined because I'm an underliner. Um, but this is truly me trying to narrow down the questions that I have for you. And there's a lot I want to cover while well, I have you here. So um, yeah, let's just jump right in. Tell us about yourself and just what a typical day in the life of Greg Gilbert looks like. Oh, typical day. Uh, well, it would depend on the day, right? So if it's a, if it's a typical Sunday, that's that's just, that's just wall-to-wall activity. You know, wake yeah. up in the morning, finish the sermon, uh, all day long with we have we have two church services so the big Sunday okay. morning service and then a prayer meeting later in the evening internships in between those and then sort of fellowships and hangouts after that yeah. so th- those days can run anywhere you know they can run from 7 a.m or even earlier to midnight you know and it's just nonstop. Yeah. if it's like a uh, like today when when you and I are talking this is a Wednesday uh uh, we have a members meeting at the church tonight, so that creates a very busy Wednesday for me, just getting last-minute membership decisions made and membership interviews and making yeah. the agenda, making sure everything is, is accounted for. Uh, if, if this were a, not a members meeting Wednesday, it would be a few, a few meetings here and there sprinkled throughout the day, maybe a staff meeting, a review of services from, from the past Sunday, so... Yeah. Tell us a little bit more just about you, where you pastor, your family. Yeah. Sure. 
Uh, well, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, Third Avenue sits kind of right next to the, the campus of the University of Louisville. Uh, I'm married uh, to Mariah. We have three children, one of whom is graduating from high school this May. So that's a, that's a wow. big deal. Um, so yeah, he's Justin. Uh, then we have a ninth grader, Jack, and a fifth grader, Juliet. Oh, so fun. What fun ages. Where will your son leave Louisville? Yeah, but not too far. He, he's he's going to go to Western Kentucky University, which is about, it's about two hours from here down, down in okay. Bowling, Kentucky. Yeah. Are you and your wife both from Kentucky? No, neither one of us is. Uh, okay. We are, so she's from sort of New Hampshire, Maine, New England uh, area, and I'm a Texan okay. by birth. Okay. And how'd you guys end up there? Uh, well, so we met in Washington, D.C. We were just attending the same church. Uh, I was right out of college. Um, she she had a job as a radio producer, actually, in, in D.C. So we met so at the I church. really need to have her on the podcast. Yeah, you absolutely should. Yeah, you guys would have, I, I you guys would have fun. Um, <laughs> you, yeah, because you'd have the same kind of background. You could ask her about pastor's wife thing, but also like, you know, microphone. Oh, I would thing. love that. Okay, I'm, I'm definitely gonna. So Mariah, if you're listening... I'm going to do that. Hopefully she, if you're she, not, she nodded. Yes. She's, she's amazing. Up. Amazing. Yeah. So then uh, we came to, we came to Kentucky uh, for me to go to school uh, at, at Southern seminary. And then we just sort of joined, joined third Avenue back in 2002. And then it just stuck basically. Amazing. Do you guys love Kentucky? Like, would you say that's home and you absolutely love it now? Or do you yeah. miss the places yeah. you're from? Oh, well, we get back to New England pretty often. We'll go, we'll go visit, okay. visit up there pretty often. My parents have moved here though from Texas. Amazing. So I haven't been back to Texas, back to my hometown in eight or nine years. It's been a long time. Wow. But yeah, we, we, Louisville's awesome. We love it. It is. I've never, it. I don't think I've ever been to Louisville or Kentucky. Yeah, you should come. It's, it's awesome. There's some world-class stuff going on in the city. Amazing. So I'll, I'll add it to the list. Okay. So tell us about when did you devote your life to Jesus? Uh, I was nine years old. Uh, uh, grew up in a, grew up in a Baptist church all my life and uh, the Christian parents. And it, it was just uh, nine years old, one particular sermon that sort of just got through, got through the defenses and the Lord softened my heart. And I, I leaned over to my mom and said, mom, I, I need to become a Christian. So my dad and I talked later that evening, and that's what happened. That's beautiful. That's amazing. What does pursuing Jesus in the day-to-day look like for you personally? Oh, goodness. Well, in this season of life, it means it means caring for a church, right? I mean, these, are, these 736 people are people for whom Jesus died, and for at least this season, he's kind of put them in my hands and and uh, is asking me to shepherd them. So that that's 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 what it looks like for me right now. Um, for a much sort of bigger and more fundamental season of, of life, it's uh, three three wonderful children that I'm trying to bring up in 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 the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I'm about to send one of them out of the nest. So that's a little bit nerve wracking. But he's he's such a good kid. He's going to be fine. He's a Christian. He's a member of the church. So I'm super proud of him and excited to see what the Lord does with him. That's amazing. This question isn't on there, but what are some tangible things that you and Mariah have done that you felt like have been helpful or impactful with your children growing up? Are there any like sort of rhythms that you guys feel like you've created? Yeah. Well, I mean, the most important one has has just been that church life, even before I became 
the pastor of, of this church was always just integrated 100% into our lives. I mean, it's woven together, inextricable. Um, so from, from the time the kids were big enough to, to like communicate at all, they were surrounded by adult Christians. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I put a tweet out the other, the other day. I, I forget what it was about, but it was my son who's about to graduate surrounded by three of basically my friends, guys my age that had become his friends. And I was just so wow. thankful to the Lord that, that, that my son had been surrounded by men who were showing him what it looked like to follow Jesus like all his life. Uh, and so for him, I think to, it's just to be a, to be a man is to be a Christian. And, and I love that. So that's amazing. It reminds me, me and one of my kind of mentors, she has four little girls and we were talking one day, there was some sort of article or study that came out. I don't know how they would have studied this, but that essentially the chance of chances of your child following Jesus, um, are much greater if they're surrounded by other adults that aren't their parents that they're getting to watch follow Jesus and that like those adults care and love them like they're in their life it's not just far off adults so yeah, I mean that so pretty true. much says exactly what you just said all right so we're just gonna dive in about your book what is the gospel and like I said before this book um, truly has brought and continues to bring a deeper understanding of the gospel for me um, my my pastor here, he had recommended the book to me, I think about three, little over three years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just grateful for such a tangible resource outside of the Bible to be able to point people to because it does such a good job. I don't like the word um, simple, but you you do such a good job of communicating it well. Mm -hmm. And f so I feel like I can, I feel confident in giving it to anyone type of thing, which I, I love mm -hmm. having that tangible resource. So yeah, thank you for that again. But what led you to write What is the Gospel? Uh, well, basically, I got told that I was going to write a book about the gospel. So I was, <laughs> I was working for a working for an outfit in, in DC uh, uh, called Nine Marks Ministries. And they so it's what that ministry is, is, is trying to identify or has identified nine marks or characteristics of a healthy church. And one of them is being clear about the gospel. So they were launching this project where they were going to write one little book about each of those nine characteristics. And the first one was going to be a clear gospel. And so they told me, you know, you need to write, write a book about the gospel. So, so that was part of it. Um, <laughs> that was where the whole thing got started. I was actually working on this other project though, uh, that eventually became another book. And it, it, as I was reading blogs and books and all this and listening to podcasts, it just sort of dawned on me that a lot of people who say they're evangelicals are not defining the gospel of Jesus Christ in the same way. They're defining it in a hundred different ways. And so I just kind of, so all those things came together and I wanted to, to sort of look at the New Testament and figure out, is there a consistent definition of the good news of Jesus in, in, in the New Testament? And so I, I came away with the conclusion that, yeah, absolutely there is. Wow. Yeah. So for those listening for the first time and maybe hearing the words, the gospel for the first time, can you explain what it is and why it is of the utmost importance? Yeah. Well, well, the, the, the gospel is basically an old, the gospel is an old English word that's made up of, of two words, right? Gut and spell, gut spell. 
and, and they're like old English German. Gut meaning good, right? So if you've ever listened to anybody speak German, like guten Morgen, right? It means good mm. morning, good morning. So good is good. And then spell is not that hard to get. It It's where we get spelling. So words, so good word or good news. So it, it, the gospel, the good news is like the heart of Christianity. That's that's what we're proclaiming to the world is the good news that sinners can be saved and forgiven by God through the work and life of Jesus Christ. So it's it's right in the middle. We want to if we want to if if we're going to be clear about anything in the world, we need to be clear about what the good message is from God. And if that gets muddled up, uh, we're in serious trouble. Mm. Yeah. So in the first chapter of your book, you kind of like what you just said, you have multiple answers from professing Christians, their answers to the question, what is the gospel? Basically mm -hmm. showing us that a lot of Christians are unsure of what the gospel explicitly is. Why do you think that some possibly lots of prof professing Christians today don't know what the gospel is? And why is it important that we're able to know it and communicate it well? Well, I, I, there's a couple of reasons. One is that one is that uh, Christians, uh, it, by and large, tend to just assume that everybody knows what the gospel is, and so instead of preaching and teaching that like a drumbeat throughout the lives of our our churches and all the rest of it, it it, it just forms this kind of background that we assume is there. And so what happens over time is that you just you just lose it, right? One generation assumes it, the next the next loses it. The, the other thing that happens, though, is that just in the human heart, even the Christian heart, uh, there's going to be a tendency to pull away from the hard edges of the gospel and make them softer and more palatable to the world around us. And so, again, over time, what you'll get is new proposal to make sin more palatable to the world, new proposal to make atonement more palatable, new proposal to make justification by faith a little more palatable or you know, you just have these mm. pulls of the human heart away from the hard edges. And if you're not teaching and preaching the gospel, if you're just assuming it, well, then those things start to get into the bloodstream and the new proposals eventually muddle up the, the, the very clear, hard truths of the gospel. Um, so, so I think one of the things that's just necessary for churches uh, is, is to be clear about the gospel and to be clear about it like, every single time the church meets. Yeah. I was just talking to a gal that the she's been a professing Christian for a while, but the Lord just recently, last couple of months, brought her understanding of the true gospel, the good news. She had kind of been believing. She thought she knew, but she really didn't know that she is a sinner. She was in need of yeah. saving from Jesus. And it was it was sweet and kind of funny to have a conversation with her about my church and um, a few churches like my church in our area. She was like, I was always so confused why you guys, it always was the same thing each mm -hmm. week. Like, okay, the gospel, like, yeah, you just did that last week. And she mm -hmm. now understands that is the most important thing. And so it's amazing just to see even in her, the Lord lifting the veil and, yeah. and she, and would have said, and and I would have said that she was a professing Christian and she mm. didn't know. And that's changed the way that she's lived significantly because she was believing a false gospel. Her life was entirely mm. different. And so I think people, yeah, they don't realize that even if you're just off a little, well, at the end, you're off, you're off a ton. Right. You, you've, yeah. you've missed it. You, you're, it's the, the gate is, is narrow and you just yeah. get off barely. And 
so yeah, that Very that true. was sweet to hear from her. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're preaching the same thing every week. Um, okay, so in your book, in your chapter about um, man the sinner, um, you talk about um, this analogy of, it says, one thing I've noticed over the years is that most people tend to think of sin, especially their own, as not much more than a parking infraction. And I mean, that this whole section really hit me too. I was like, whoa. Um, so my question for you is what risk do we run when we minimize our own sin and maybe compare it to others worse in quotes sin? Yeah. Well, well, you'll, if you minimize sin, either in, you know, thinking about your own or even the definition of what sin is, uh, ultimately you'll, you'll miss how gigantic the grace of God is in Christ. You'll miss how gigantic it is that that Jesus saved you from your sin because you'll just think of it as this little thing that you know is just easy to easy to deal with when actually it was you know that because sin is so so earth shattering really pretty literally uh the, the amount of love and mercy and justice and power that was required to save us from that sin is also earth shatteringly gigantic so so the bigger a problem you realize sin is the more you'll be amazed by the grace of God. That's good. So if we do believe this gospel, how should it be impacting our lives? Well, it's every, I mean, it's every, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, like I said, it's earth shattering, right? It changes everything. You know, it's, it, it, it uh, at every point too. I mean, I mean, suddenly you realize that you're not a cosmic accident. You're not just a collection of chromosomes that's come together into, and, and now you've got, a certain number of revolutions around the sun to have as much fun as you can and sort of survive. But all of a sudden you're, you're a creation of God made in his image with a purpose to worship him for all eternity. Um, you realize that uh, the human race has messed that up very badly and that that same creator God has become redeemer God for you. Uh, it's just a Copernican revolution of who you are as a human being. Once you grasp what the gospel yeah. So towards the end of your book, when talking about the day that Jesus will return and establish his kingdom fully, finally, and forever, you say, those are wonderful, wonderful promises, but even they are not big enough. No, if we understand the gospel rightly, we will long not so much for the kingdom as for the king. And that's the end of the quote from your book. And I read in a different book a few years ago, something along the lines of, if you got to heaven and Jesus wasn't there, would you notice or care? And that really made me stop in my tracks and think about my relationship with Jesus. So along with your quote, why is Christianity about more than, yay, in quotes, I'm going to heaven, and why should our hearts long for Jesus? And a last question, I can repeat it after you answer the first two, but how how can we tell if our hearts are longing for a kingdom over a king? Mm. Yeah, well, well so our, our, our hearts are going are gonna to be drawn toward the things that we think are going to fulfill us. So they're going to be drawn toward things that we think are good uh, and beautiful and and true and wonderful. Uh, and so I think a lot of times what happens is that our we hear phrases like streets of gold and gates of pearl and all, all of this. And we think, oh, that's good. And being in a place like that would be good. Uh, and, and that's true. I mean, there, there's a reason those images are in the Bible. Uh, but on the other hand, what those images are saying, too, is that gold all of a sudden is so non-valuable in heaven that we pave the streets with it 
And mm. pearl is so non-valuable that we fashion our gates out of it. What's valuable in heaven, what's good and wonderful and true and beautiful is Jesus himself. And so, uh, we, we, you know, as you understand more of who Jesus is, your heart ought to be drawn more toward being with him than walking on the streets of gold. Um, and you cultivate that, I think, just by getting to know him. I think the more you stare at Jesus and, and, and learn about him uh, and get to know him, see what he does in the Bible, understand the significance of all of that, the more you just see what a wonderful person he, he is, just beyond all expectation and imagination. Mm, yeah. And I mean, the way that we do that is by being in his word and by spending time with him. Yeah. Right. I, I think especially my generation, I, we talk about this so much on the podcast because I feel like my generation, we we're Bible illiterate. We, we love the experiential and the exciting. We love Jesus, but we don't know him. We, you got to spend time in your Bible to know him, to know who he is, to meditate on and to fall in love with him. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Christians, I think Christians a lot of times are going for emotional catharsis and they think that mm. an emotional sort of download is, is an experience with God. And I think emotions are important. I just think emotions need to be fired, not just by, you know, low lights and lasers and music and, you know, soft keyboard sort of, you know, sound mm-hmm. emotions need to be fired by doctrine. So that the mm-hmm. doctrines of Christianity, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, uh, how God prepared for the arrival of Jesus throughout the entire old Testament. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like hard wood that goes into the furnace of worship and burns hot. Mm-hmm. Right? Whereas the stuff we normally use to get the really quick explosion of emotion is more like a kerosene explosion. It's just, it's quick, it's fast, it's bright, but it's not very hot and it doesn't last very long. Whereas yeah. a doctrinal fire in your furnace of worship is more what you want to go for. You want your, you want your mind and heart to be uh, uh, affected by the truths of who Jesus is. And then that roars up into a fire of worship. Mm, I love that. I love that analogy. So in your book, you say, if your friends, family, and coworkers are ever to be saved from their sins, it will be because someone speaks the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, period. And I've heard the quote, share the gospel with everyone, and if necessary, use words. And not that I believe this has to be a this or that thing, and all of our lives should essentially be living out the gospel, but I do believe we shy away from explicitly sharing the gospel with people. Why do you think it's important to explicitly share the gospel with people in our lives and to be prepared to do so? Yeah, well, because it's it's news, right? The, the, the gospel is good news, and news involves words. So, you know, you can be a nice person, you can be a, a productive person at work, you can you can do all kinds of good things, but but the reality is very few times is anybody going to walk up to you and say, hey, I've noticed that you're an awesome person. Tell me about the religion that underlies your niceness. <laughs> Nobody's going to do that. It's, a, it, it, it's ridiculous. It doesn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to be uh, ready to manufacture and create opportunities to say, you know, look, he, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me give you the good news that comes to all human beings from the creator of the universe. You got to be ready to do that. Um, so the, the little quote that you used, uh, always preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's just sort of nonsense, right? I mean, yeah. to preach the gospel is to use words because the gospel is news. 
So you have yeah. to you have to be ready to say uh, and man, not just say it when you're asked, but manufacture opportunities uh, to to speak the gospel truth to two people around you. What are some tips you have? That, I honestly don't think it's that hard to do that. Uh, yeah. You know, I think part of it is just learning how uh, the way the way I put it in another book I've written is just you, you have to just kind of learn how to flop God out onto the table with people, mm. right? So. So one of the things when you're getting to know people or you're just small talking, one of the things people will always ask is something like, tell me a little bit about yourself or where are you from or what, you know, what do you do or, you know, mm-hmm. questions like that. And instead of saying, for example, just, you know, my name is, my name is Greg and I have this job and I live in this particular city. Learn to say something like, my name's Greg. I have this job in this particular city. I'm a member of Third Avenue Baptist Church. I'm a Christian mm-hmm. uh, and I'm married and I have three kids, but put it in there. And it's amazing how many times people will grab onto that and want to talk more about, wait, what did you say? You're a, you're a <laughs> member of a church? You're a Christian? Uh, and mm. it's just sort of fishing, right? Fishers of men. Just put the hook out there with the bait mm. and you'll be amazed how many people will latch onto it and want to know more. That's super helpful. That's super helpful. I'm excited to to use that. Okay, let's say someone today is listening to us talk about the gospel and they want to know how they can be saved. How can they be brought into the family of God? Like you say in your book, God, man, Christ, response. So again, read this book, people. What then is the right response and what is a tangible next step after responding to this good news? Yeah, well, the response that's that's demanded from, from the good news is to trust in Jesus to do what he said he will do. So the the gospel comes and it's Jesus saying, I will, through my life and death and resurrection, save you, the rebel who deserves to die, if you will trust in me to do so. Meaning if you'll bow your knee to me as king, if you'll understand that I am am who I say I am, if you'll trust me to save you, give up on every other hope of salvation except me, then I will will save you. So the response is, okay, Jesus, I will do that. I'm not going to rely on my own works. I'm not going to rely on some other savior. If you don't save me, it's over with. And so I'm trusting you to stand in my place, plead my case before the father, die in my place, all the rest of it. I believe in you to, to do that. And you're now, you're now my king. So that's the response. Um, and that's what you, that's what you do. You know, if you've got listeners who are, who are saying, Hey, I'd, I'd really like to become a Christian. How do I do that? That's how you do it. You say, Jesus, I give up. I can't save myself. I'm trusting you to, to live and die in my place, and I'm trusting in you to save me. Um, tangible next step would be uh, t- tell the world about it in baptism, right? You, you, you go yeah. to a church and you say, hey, I'm a Christian now. Uh, and uh, uh, that happened through Maddie's podcast, and I've become a Christian. What do I do now? And if it's a good church, what they're going to tell you is, all right, what Christians do now by Jesus's command is that we get baptized publicly, which is... What baptism is basically is is the pledge of allegiance to the kingdom, right? So if you become a, a citizen of the United States, one of the symbolic things that you do in that process is that you say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States. You know, you do the pledge of allegiance as a symbol of your, your new identity as an American. Same thing when you become a Christian. Baptism is the way you get to grab the, the microphone of the universe and say to mm-hmm. heaven and hell and everybody else that's listening, I am now with Jesus. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, uh, and, and my allegiance is to him. So, so baptism is, is the next symbolic thing. And then you're off to the races, right? You are just living the Christian life, learning about Jesus, 
trying to follow him, join a church, uh, become a member mm. of a church and live the Christian life with, uh, with other believers. Mm. That's helpful. Amazing. Okay. So again, people go read his book. What is the gospel? And then read it once a year and give it to everyone, you know, along with a Bible. It's, it's awesome and just super helpful. All right. So, um, a few more questions, just more about you and your life. Um, who has been the most influential person in your walk with Jesus and how so could be someone, you know, could be someone you don't know. Hmm. That is a great question. I, well, I mean, without a doubt, my mom and dad, right. They're the ones who introduced me to Jesus. They're the ones who sort of built my worldview, uh, from, from the very beginning who cultivated my trust in God's word and in, in Jesus. So without a doubt, my, my mom and dad, uh, in, in ministry, uh, you know, I've got a, a ministerial mentor who's sort of, you know, Paul to my Timothy and, and that's Mark Dever at the, the church in Washington, DC that we've, we've talked about a couple of times. Uh, so Mark, Mark taught me 99% of everything I know about Christian ministry, preaching and church and all, all the rest of it. So, uh, I'm, I'm super grateful to him for what he's, what he's done in my life. And then there are authors that I've read and, you know, at various times, but, but who's your favorite parents... author? Oh, favorite author. Well, I'd say the, I'd say the, the author who affected me most, uh, was John Piper in his book, the pleasures of God. So mm. that, that's the book that sort of opened my eyes to, to what's called reformed theology, meaning that you know, just God is sovereign. God is at the center. God, God saves those that he wants to save. It's just, it's just a revolutionary thing. And, and that book kind of got me started down, down that road of, of biblical theology. So. Oh, cool. What's that book called again? It's called the pleasures of God. The pleasures of God. An old book. I read it in 1996. So last century I read that book. Yeah. Fantastic book. It's still in print. You can still get it. it. It's just magnificent. Uh, and I, and chapter five was the one of that book called wow. God's pleasure in election was the one I must've read 15 times in a row because okay. it was so revolutionary to me. Cool. Okay. I'm definitely adding it to my list. Sounds amazing. Okay. Best piece of advice you've ever been given in your walk with Jesus, or if you have multiple things, you oh. can obviously, I mean the, the piece of advice that comes to me all the time in pastoring, it just kind of lives in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, was someone told me just do good things and do them for a long time. And I've mm-hmm. learned over 10 years in the, in the pastorate and 20 years in kind of church ministry that that is so true. Uh, I, I think people, people, Christians, pastors tend to get bored in their work. Mm-hmm. So they go looking for some new exciting thing. And I think mm-hmm. really what you ought to be doing is just doing, doing the things the Bible commands, do good things and just do them for a really long time. Even if there are seasons when they seem to get boring, just keep doing them and you'll you'll see good fruit come from it. Cool. Best marriage advice you've ever been given? Uh, uh, block out date nights. Just mm. like concrete them into life and make them. How often do you guys do those? Uh, once a week, Friday nights. And it's not, Amazing. it doesn't, it, ours is not a big deal. We, we basically just get Thai, take out Thai food and watch movies. Uh, that's, that's, that's date awesome. night usually. So it doesn't have to be a big expensive thing. What advice do you have for married people out there? I guess besides date night. Um, I mean, that's really important. Uh, date, date nights are really important. Um, 
uh, integrating your, your marriage and life into the church is, is hugely mm-hmm. important. Uh, you, you don't want your marriage to exist capsuled off from, mm-hmm. from church life. So I think that's really hugely important as much for marriage as it is for children parenting. Cool. What is a piece of scripture the Lord's been using to encourage, exhort, or convict you with lately? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, 20, what is it? 27, something like that. Uh, where, uh, the author just says that because of all of this, that Jesus has done, uh, we, we can now draw near to God, which is, if you think about that, the phrase draw near in light of the inability to do that for all of human history, since Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden of Eden, it's an amazing invitation to be in the presence of God. Um, hmm. Even the Jews couldn't do that, right? You, you couldn't go into the hmm. Holy of Holies unless you were the high priest. And they even say that they would tie a rope around that dude's ankle because he might die. And then you'd have to pull the corpse out of the Holy of Holies. Hmm. So <laughs> they'd wow. put a rope around his ankle and just in case. So you were just not welcome in the presence of God. But hmm. now the invitation is, come on, draw, draw near. It's an incredible thing. That's so sweet. I feel like I haven't even thought about that even when I'm reading the Old Testament. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're allowed to go near and they only one person was. Yeah. That's, that's really right. sweet to think about. And then only once a year, right? One time a year, one person could go into the Holy of Holies and now the doors are wide open. Hmm. Amazing. All right. We have some rapid fire questions to wrap up our time together. Keyword rapid, keyword fire. Okay. Favorite book all time? Pleasures of God, John Piper. Favorite thing to do as a family? Go to the lake and ski. Mm. Favorite song right now? Oh, uh, 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 it was finished at the cross by somebody mm. I don't know. You just Google it. What are you reading right now? Um, what am I, what am I reading? I'm reading commentaries on Hebrews right now because I'm preaching it. Hmm. Favorite Bible teacher to listen to? Mm, that's hard. Uh, Ligon Duncan. Fun fact about you that most people don't know. Uh, uh, I love like mountain climbing. Mm, wow. Like do you connect, you're like all harnessed and stuff. Uh, I I've done very little of that kind of stuff. So not super technical stuff, but I love being up high in the mountains with all the gear. Does your wife like doing that too? Mm, Yeah. She, well, she likes, she would, she would put it as more just hiking. Like neither one of us does the super, super extreme stuff, technical stuff, but I would be a little more extreme than she would. Did you ever watch that documentary on the guy that free hands? Hopes. Wait, is it still Free, what? free solo. Free solo. Yeah. Hunold. Is that his name? Hun- What's his name? Something Hunold, I think. Yeah. Anyway, it's incredible. Yeah, Wild. that guy's insane. Nothing like that. <laughs> that that I feel like I just like I'm afraid of heights, so that just like gave me anxiety watching it. So <laughs> I'll stick with hiking with your wife. Okay. How can anyone listening today be specifically praying for you and or your family right now? Uh, well, mostly you can just pray for uh, us and my son in particular as he heads off to college. Mm. Uh, that's just a huge moment in life, and I really want that to go well for him. Um, and of course, it's going to be yeah. it's going to be tough to let him go, but yeah, it'll be all right. Mm. That's awesome. 
Okay, I just wanted to wrap up this episode with my favorite paragraph from his book, What is the Gospel? And it says this, where will you point? When you stand before God at the judgment, I wonder what you plan to do or say in order to convince him to count you righteous and admit you to all the blessings of his kingdom. What good deed or godly attitude will you pull out of your pocket to impress him? Will you pull out your church attendance, your family life, your spotless thought life, the fact that you haven't done anything really heinous in your own eyes? I wonder what you'll hold up before him while saying, God, on account of this, justify me. I'll tell you what every Christian whose faith is in Christ alone will do, by God's grace. They will simply and quietly point to Jesus, and this will be their plea. Oh God, do not look for any righteousness in my own life. Look at your son. Count me righteous, not because of anything I've done or anything I am, but because of him. He lived the life I should have lived. He died the death that I deserve. I've renounced all other trusts, and my plea is him alone. Justify me, oh God, because of Jesus. Friends, if you've placed your faith in Jesus and made him Lord of your life, you can find rest in that truth that when you stand before God face to face for judgment, you will simply point to Jesus. You've been justified because of his death and resurrection on your behalf. And that, my friends, is such, such good news. All right, Pastor Greg, as we leave this conversation, is there are there any last words of encouragement or exhortation you have for anyone listening? No, just thanks to you. I, it's been fun to talk to you and get to know you just a little bit. I'm sure we'll cross paths in the future. I hope so. Yeah, this has been so much fun. Thanks for helping me understand the gospel deeper and all of our listeners. So yeah, it's an honor to have you here. Thank you so much. Ooh, you guys, that was so much fun. How sweet was it to hear and learn from Pastor Greg Gilbert? An absolute blast. You guys, go now, order his little black book titled, What is the Gospel? And invite a friend to read it with you. Give it to everyone you know. It is truly so helpful. I'm praying that this conversation left you inspired and feeling bold to go share the good news explicitly with someone in your life, to share the gospel. Also, while you're at it, I literally just ordered his latest book called Assured, Discover Grace, Let Go of Guilt, and Rest in Your Salvation, a book that's basically tackling that deep worry inside of some of us that says, am I truly saved? I'm so excited to read it. Let me know if you read either of those. Let me know how you like them. You can also listen to his sermons on Spotify under Third Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. Guys, if you would, please leave a review and share this podcast with your friends and family. I would deeply appreciate it. As always, I would love to connect with you and hear about what God is doing in your life. Typically, you can DM me at Madeline Schultz underscore, but I'm currently on a social media hiatus, so feel free to reach out to me always at sunnyand65podcast at gmail.com. And in the notes for this episode, you can actually subscribe to my emails and stay up to date on the podcast and other fun things. Friends, go be bold and love big, and we will see you next time.